0: and welcome to Contracts Over Coffee, the podcast where we talk about all things contracting while sipping a delicious coffee beverage. I'm your host, Ann Baker, Senior Director of Partner Marketing at iCertus. And with me today is Teju Deshpande, founder and CEO of Oya Solutions. Oya Solutions, for those of you who don't know it, is a consulting firm focused on deploying leading edge contract management solutions. Teju has spent over 25 years in the technology and legal services industry helping leaders improve effectiveness and efficiency through process technology and data optimization. Welcome to the program today Teju.
1: Thank you Anne, it's great to be here and I have my own um, coffee beverage to join uh, join along.
0: Thanks for having me. That's, it's a pleasure and uh, I believe it I I thought it was gonna be Teju and tea instead of coffee today, but. uh,
1: (laughs) It it can be Teju and tea, but since it was coffee, I actually have a
0: coffee beverage, but I'm a tea drinker, so. There we go. Thank you for the commitment, Teju. We appreciate it, we appreciate (laughs) it. So now I like to start off the conversation, the podcast program with the same question for all our guests. So Teju, what is your story?
1: Um, So I have um, an engineering background. And I lived and worked in the Bay Area for many years. I held uh, a number of different roles, all with technology companies, uh, technical as well as uh, strategic marketing, product management, uh, pricing, um, new business models. And the reason I bring this up is it was great being able to see the entire product lifecycle, you know, from marketing definition all the way through product launch. And got exposed to legal teams and contracts from that, lens you know so from being able to look at ndas and licensing agreements all the way through supply chain agreements and you know making sure your uh, bill of materials for semiconductor products got delivered on time and you know exclusivity for suppliers all of that stuff was sort of interesting from a business perspective and you know how it impacted sort of your contracting cycles and therefore your product launch uh, timetables was sort of interesting i accidentally fell into the legal services world uh, when I moved to Chicago to scale a legal services business that I had co-founded. And there I got to really get involved with the legal aspects of contracts, you know, contracts review, negotiation, what people cared about. And what was exciting to me about contracts in particular, not that litigation and uh, document review isn't interesting. This was interesting because I had the business background to see how it actually impacted, you know, Timelines for products It impacted how we hired and were able to onboard new people, employees, independent contractors, suppliers, and the legal aspect of it made it real. You know, so that was interesting, exciting to see, you know, future. Forecasting that you, you know salespeople would use and rely on on contracts to being able to look back on, you know, one of the most important assets a company has. So that's sort of how I fell into the contracting world, if you will. And I started Oya um, with the idea that, you know, many organizations think about contracts as an extension of something else. You know, I'm a I'm a Salesforce shop, and therefore I need contracting. Or I'm an SAP uh, uh, implementation house, and therefore I need contracts. Or I'm a legal operations company, and I need contracts. But I feel like contracting is its own discipline and needs the attention. Um, from uh, implementation, from technology, all the way through data data management and governance, and that's the impetus of starting Oya. And the more the more important driver was was also women in tech. You know, it was important to start an organization that that enabled women in tech to to have a place uh, mm-hmm. to thrive. That's
0: fantastic. I. I know as someone, I also have an engineering background and it's interesting how you can start in that area, um, which gives you a great baseline for -hmm. technology. And then, you know, as your career evolves, get exposed to different categories like legal tech where you can go deeper. Uh, And contracts, I know for me, is relatively new, you know, just since joining ISERTUS. But it's an interesting area because once you get into it, you just see, you know, how it touches every area of the business. And, and um just how much influence contracts have over risk over the you know actual functioning of a organization so it's it's one of those areas that you don't think about a lot but once you're in it and you see the just the influence it has it can be very fascinating to kind of go deeper on so it's great to hear now since we're here talking about contracting today so our next question is what do you think is the biggest challenge with contracting um
1: in some ways, it actually depends on who you ask. Um, and so, there are data challenges. Even today in 2021, we hear from a number of customers that they don't have a centralized repository. They cannot find their contracts. You would think that we would have solved that problem, but we haven't. Mm-hmm. There are process challenges. There's still manual email-based processes. Uh, things take too long. You know, Contracting cycles haven't really shrunk in spite of automation um, and tech tools that are available. There are also challenges due to increasing complexity, you know, and globalization, right? Which leads to um, regulatory concerns people have, and, you know, managing risk uh, differently. And I think the pandemic proved, you know, that suddenly going from an all office environment or a, a virtual work from home presented its own set of contracting challenges for companies. And people can, you know, things can t- change on a dime. But these have been sort of common challenges, at least for the last 10-15 years, right? And I think the overarching issue that I feel um, is one of governance and continuous optimization. You know, contracts management in, in particular is not a one and done. It isn't something you implement once and go away and it sort of self runs. You know, your business evolves, your products change, Your business models change, your suppliers are changing, the locations that you do business in are changing, people get acquired all the time. And so that puts a completely different um, complexity into an already functioning process. So it's not that people don't have legal tech. It's not that people don't have optimized templates, but if you suddenly are an acquired company, now you're repapering all your documents, right? I mean, there is that fresh, Mm-hmm. Uh, stuff that happens all the time. And so one of the continuing challenges, I think, is of, of strong governance for contracting in particular. And I, I, I think back, and the reason I bring up my technology background is back in the day, uh, you know, when data security and data privacy became a bigger bigger thing for people, people had a, a CISO or a chief information officer role. There is no centralized sort of role or function that says contracts something you know a head of contracts doesn't exist in an organization so it's silo different people do different things so it's part of revenue ops or it's part of legal ops it's part of different functions but it doesn't have its own entity and i think that may be what i see as a way you know path forward that i'm you know beginning to see as a way to address some of these challenges but it is important i think to think about contracts as not a, you know, back office thing that you do, but it's actually one of the most important assets that you have as a as a company. And how do you think about contracts differently? I think would be, you know, the next next big thing in my mind.
0: Yeah, you you brought up a number of great points there. I mean, first I, I will just say, like, it is amazing how many companies still are looking up their contracts in their email or printing out their contracts and filing cabinets. I still cannot get over that in mm-hmm. this day and age that that just simple centralized repository is missing, especially when, you know, analyst firms like the Aberdeen Group and others have found that, you know, you can reduce the costs by uh, of managing your contracts by 25, 30, upwards of 40% through automation. So first off, it is just amazing that we're still having that discussion today but I loved your comment about, you know, it's not one and done. Like if if you're putting these contracts at the center of your organization and you're, and you're thinking about them as something that's constantly evolving and is a real asset full of a wealth of data that you can use to actually get better and make better decisions from, I think you just treat them differently. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you're not putting them away in a filing cabinet. You're seeing them as something that's really a valuable, valuable asset for your organization. So those are, I think, terrific points and challenges that companies continue to face and and need to look at going forward. So with that in mind, you know, where do you kind of think contracting is going um, to address those those challenges?
1: So, I see
0: yeah,
1: you know, three what I call big trends. Mm-hmm. Um, one is digital transformation. You know, the pandemic Accelerated this process, you know, simple things like e-signature, you know, low hanging fruit people got behind e-signature and automating that. That was important. Um, new ways of doing business have cropped up. You know, how do you collaborate virtually? You know, I actually had to do an e-notary um, process recently that i would never seen, you know, where you actually had to have, you know, be on FaceTime. Someone had to see my hand signing the thing. It was sort of interesting to see how, you know, low tech, Mm-hmm. Uh, can solve sort of, you know, fairly important important issues. And I think what we will see there is, you know, how do we manage identity differently? How do we ensure um, security around this virtual world that we are going to live in? So digital transformation is not what digital transformation was five years ago. I think it's going to evolve and it's going to be a different kind of transformation, transformation that we are going to see. Mm-hmm. The second thing I think that is changing now And I don't know whether I want to call it, you know, flexible business models maybe or um, modular ways of doing business. And I think, again, you know, not to go back to the pandemic, but that, that created sort of lessons around how we do business. The businesses that were able to pivot really rapidly were digital businesses they were businesses that had flexibility right you could move from a fully office environment to a virtual environment i could actually be in two different locations so i had business continuity in place um, to be a to be able to to run my business well and what that would lead to i think is in many ways a flexible contracting paradigm Right. So you will have more flexibility in the way you write your contracts, I think, Mm -hmm. and how you collaborate with suppliers differently or with your employees. You know, so I think that shift will happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the last one, and and I, I say this again and again to every person, you know, that we do implementations with is you have to have a continuous optimization mindset. Because your business is not going to be static. Your products are going to evolve faster than you can imagine. You're going to have different levels of competition. And, you know, if you use a, um, an example of an automotive company, you know, I would, if if someone were to have told me 15 years ago that General Motors is really a technology company, I would have said, what? You know, but they are. They're, They're first and foremost a technology company. So if you look at their contracts, whether it's self-driving cars or whether it's you know licensing technology from a Google or whoever, mm-hmm. they're really in the business of techn- technology contracts. And so you know to to the uh, to the the fast-growing companies as well as companies that have been in business, the whole notion of continuous optimization is critical. And so there are many, of course, who've you know been on your podcast and out in the world who speak about, you know, blockchain and AI and advanced analytics, and and that will be the next CLM tech. Mm-hmm. But in order to or to have blockchain and AI work well, you've got to be. It has to be underpinned with these what I would call you know big broad constructs mm-hmm. that will allow CLM tech to evolve. You know, so if you think about Isertis, for example, one of the interesting things about Isertis is it's the platform is modular. So you can add and bolt on, you know, you can add on a supplier module if you want. You can add an AI module if you want, right? So it, it is modular. You're already thinking
0: mm-hmm.
1: five years ahead of where, you know, the rest of the world will follow. Um, and that's sort of what I think about when I think about continuous optimization and flexible modular.
0: Yeah, I love, I mean, I love those three that you you hit on, because I will say this, we have a lot of guests on this show. They always go to AI and AI is super powerful right now in um Contracting in general, but I love that you really are focusing on the reality of the situation, which is, you know, you need to be flexible. You need to give people those options as they're moving into this new realm of, you know, digital working, and and um, give them give them the contracting experience that fits with the the work experience that they're, you know, being accustomed to now. And and it is sort of ever growing and ever changing, and making sure that your technology and products are flexible enough that they can uh change with the company is is really critical so i love i love that you picked those as kind of where contracting is is going right now because covid has definitely really shown a light on on those areas in particular and i think that's why you know our company saw growth and i'm sure you know implementation around contract management is is seeing a lot of growth right now um because You need great technology to help support you, but you also need the processes in place uh, to make sure that your company can leverage that technology correctly uh, going forward. So excellent, excellent points. And with that, it kind of brings me to my next question, which is what is one contracting tip that you wish every person knew?
1: Um, there is a lot of legal tech out there, you know, contracting tech. And like you're right, you rightly said, there's AI, there's a lot of excitement and buzz about, you know, the next shiny new technology that I want to implement. And there are lots of resources that are, are put in place and planned for, for the implementation. It's, it's sort of like, and I, I tend to use bad analogies, so, uh, you know, bear with me on this one. I liken software uh, purchases to buying a house. You know, people are really excited about going and, you know, checking out their model homes or, you know, the demo is what I see, I, I think about is when they go see the house and they like it. And then it's the the implementation tends to be the, you know, I want Carrera Marble from Italy. Um, and, and I really have the budget for, you know, a stock home. Uh, <laughs> problem ends up happening in implementations. But that's sort of the, the big focus what people really don't pay attention to in terms of resourcing still is how do I get ready you know and I I can allude to this in in the house analogy right we when we moved from the Bay Area to Chicago um, at the time it was moving we were a fast-growing company I was in India six times a year um, my children were trying to get to you know the the right school we, you know we moved literally with very little readiness And by the time we got our boxes unpacked, we realized we had a garbage bag um, or garbage can full of garbage still packed really nicely in bubble wrap that we opened five years later. So lack of readiness, we actually paid for our, you know, thank goodness it was paper garbage, you know, but, but we still had that wrapped, right? And the reason I say this is if you if you really don't take the time to be ready you take in processes that you've used that you really don't want that get codified into sort of your new tech you know you have data and contracts that are you know 10 years old that you're never going to open that come along as part of your legacy loads and you have you know elements that you're never going to track again that show up right and so if you want a new house um you you should you know be prepared for readiness now the next thing that i would say which, you know, people are actually really good about now getting ready and the whole preparedness. But where things drop off is after the Big Bang. You know, implementation goal life seems to be the uh, event. And then, you know, the people who had sponsored the event, you know, get promoted, have other jobs, move on. Six months later, there's no real governance around adoption. Like who in the company is responsible for adoption success? It either falls on legal operations, it falls on sales ops, maybe IT, and somehow that momentum that you've built sort of wanes. So if I were to give people a contracting tip again, it it comes back to my continuous optimization. Who's responsible for that? Who is responsible for the care and feeding of a a very, very important investment you've made? And it's not the licensing. It is not even implementation costs. It's the change management aspect, right? It's not that, uh, you know, people are resistant to change. They have application fatigue you know and on any given day you're dealing with 30 40 different applications either from the outside world or within your own enterprise and so help them make it easy to use the tech that is so valuable is is
0: the contracting tip i would that's it's such an important point both like in the idea that this is an opportunity to get your processes right and really think about should i be doing something differently but also don't just make that launch event the event and walk away know this is sort of an ongoing process that requires nurturing and love to to continue to see the benefits out of it and really realize the benefits across your organization because when we see companies really make the investment and make the commitment um and bring on you know thought leaders who can give them some new perspective and ideas on the best ways to do these things like Oya solutions that is where you know we see the the real benefits and, and real ROI come from, from these implementations. So I, I love that tip. Um, and then kind of last contracting question before we, we head over to maybe a little more personal questions, but what do you think people would be surprised to know about contracting? So
1: contracting is um, such a big and broad area that I'll limit my focus to, you know, tech. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And this is where um, implementations and AI and data actually are critical. Um, I still am surprised to hear that I cannot find my contracts. Like we should not have this problem in 2021, I think. You know, I still think data management continues to be a problem. And it isn't because people don't spend an inordinate amount of time. They look at new uh, technologies. They look at AI tools, and there are now, I think, about 18 or 19 different AI um, uh, tools, and a number of AI-enabled platforms like Icertis, right, that are providing um, uh, AI solutions. But there's a lot of sort of um, expectation from AI that somehow it's a one-button magical answer to our data problems, and I think part of the reason why I continue to harp on governance and data governance being a key thing is you will always need to normalize data. You'll always need to standardize data across the enterprise because it isn't about, you know, sales ops needing something, legal operations needing something it's or procurement. You need to sort of have a unified view across the enterprise about what risk means
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and what your key or core metadata or attributes mean for the entire company and then continue to normalize as you acquire more uh, businesses or you divest or you add new products and services. Are you looking at that sort of normalized standardized uh, data model? I think is critical. And then whichever AI enabled tool you use will have that normal set to actually learn against. Because right now, if I have, you know, I've, if I look at AI, for example, right, there are a lot of uh, folks who will say, you know, I need to find exclusivity or termination provisions. And how you code termination provisions can be, you know, will require 18 different data points depending on yeah. the kind of contracts. And that's where I feel it shouldn't be surprising, but it is data continues and analytics continue to be, an ongoing challenge. You know, there's implementations, there's process automation, all of that exists. And again, if I liken it to my house analogy, you might buy a shiny new house. From a process standpoint, you'll figure out that I need to go to my new grocery store, right? You'll autopilot to your old way of working for a little while, but you'll figure out a new way of being. Mm But you lose your mind if you cannot find stuff, and that happens if you don't have a, a method to the madness. And that's where I think data governance comes in.
0: Yeah, data is just becoming an increasingly important topic, and contracts are just you know chock full of great data. But are you able to pull it correctly? Are you able to really get the most out of it so that it's useful to you? Um, and and it is an ongoing process. You're absolutely right. And as you start to you know make initial ground and then just establishing those baselines, that's where you can really start fine-tuning your models and really getting some you know deeper insights into your into your contracts that can that can be helpful. So that's a great, great surprise. Now shifting gears a little, we talked about what people would be surprised to know about contracting, but what would people be surprised to know about you, Teju? Um I love road
1: trips i absolutely love road trips um there's something about a non rigid itinerary mm-hmm. i don't have to get on a flight at a certain time i don't have to plan other than you know get in the car and drive
0: mm-hmm. is
1: is very freeing um and my you know my childhood um, we it, we did a lot of uh road trips in india you know we did the entire east coast in this and and imagine this right we used to have this little Uh, you know a car in India called an ambassador car we had 13 people crammed into that car (laughs) and it was i think back on the time and i don't think i loved it when i was actually on the road you know being uh, crammed but i loved the experience of going through you know tiny villages and you know temples and you know beaches that were unspoiled Mm -hmm. and i find the same thing here you know with in the us and and both my husband and i um you know i've been to 47 of, of the 50 states wow. we're trying to find a way to get to oklahoma and and take our kids along um, you know, <laughs> but that's sort of one of the the middle states that we're stuck with um you know trying to go to but it's exciting and the reason i, I like it is um not only is it is it wonderful to see different landscapes
0: mm-hmm. but
1: you see different professions you see how people make a living you know and you see um industries that you think about you know when i think about contracting right i see all of these sort of brick and mortar industries and you actually see people who work at these spaces and what their lives are like and it it provides a human perspective to Mm -hmm. things that are are data driven and abstract but i just you know anyway that's a little a little
0: bit i you know i love to travel too um and 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 road trips are we're actually going on one here in the next week to bend work and but uh it's interesting. I just love like the new adventure, kind of seeing new things. Like we're not a family that goes on the same vacation again, because it is sort of gaining that new perspective and gaining new, you know, just discovering new things. And that is exciting. So that completely resonates with me. And I, I agree with you. That is sort of one of the great joys of life is, is getting out there and traveling, even with COVID, like road trips right now, especially, especially good way to kind of get out and and uh, get out of your house a little bit and see see more. So that's a great, great one. And and so final question, Taju, what inspires you? Kind of what gets you up in the morning?
1: Um, you know, I've talked a, a lot about, you know, diversity and inclusion and, you know, women in tech, and that absolutely inspires me to continue doing what I do uh, for Oya. Mm-hmm. But having, you know, been through the last year, you know, that we have had, um, it's it's been an intensely reflective year in many ways and i think about you know what really inspires me now is the human spirit and the resilience of humans in general right this pandemic once in a lifetime event you know for all of us you know unspeakable tragedy of lives lost and families torn apart but as humans, we persevered, we innovated the, you know, the vaccine rollout was the fastest, I think, of all the, you know, infectious diseases so far. Mm-hmm. And we learned and adapted to a new way of being. And I look at, you know, teenagers who, you know, flipped on a dime and, you know, were OK with virtual graduations and not being in college. And, you know, as a as humans, um, I think that the resilience of who we are and the human spirit is what inspires me to say, you know, we can adapt, we can change, we can pivot, mm-hmm. um, and we'll come out ahead. And you know, I think to borrow a phrase that many have have said, you know, my hope for all of us is not to go back to normal, but go back to better. You know, a kinder, more inclusive,
0: better, whatever that is for all of us. That's fantastic. Yeah, going back to better. I know last year during the height of kind of the COVID situation, you did a wonderful webinar with us on navigating market turbulence during this time. I mean, and and it's really looking at how do we overcome, right? How do we take these challenges and not get blocked by them and, and stalled by them, but find ways to overcome and climb over and plow through them. So I love I love that idea of, of doing better. Um, And so thank you, Teju, for for joining uh, the webinar today. I will say we'll point out to everyone to uh, go visit OyaSolutions.com to learn more about Teju and her company that she started. Um, We'll also put some assets here in the the blog for people to download and learn more about our uh, past webinars and joint marketing activities that we've done and um, some checklists and things that we can use to to continue to improve our CLM processes going forward. Um, so that kind of brings us to the end of the program, but thank you again, uh, Teju. It was a pleasure having you on board.
1: No, thank you. It was, it was great chatting in um, as always. And again, happy to share my um, readiness and adoption checklist for uh, you know the audience that might be interested, happy to share that. But thank you again for having me.
0: Great, thank you.